But we haven't even gotten to the best thing Buck Showalter did all weekend long, and that was in the finale of this series. Game four, Mets-Dodgers. Again, I'm such a loser that I go into this finale thinking, ah, yeah, we win the game, great. Expect to lose, but hey, we got to win in this series. It's not the end of the world. It's Trevor Williams. Tyler McGill made a rehab start. He should be back in a week and a half. It's all good. Trey Turner hits that home run in the first inning. Pete Hoffman's excited because Trey's on his fantasy team. Be honest. Were you excited about that? Uh, Listen, I wasn't upset by it, but yeah, it was fun. (laughs) But you nailed it, though. Like, dude, I expected once once I took the game on Saturday, I was fine. I was content with the fact that at least they didn't get swept. So I was like, okay, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. That's the worst mentality, but we all have it, or at least a lot of us have it, of, all right, well, we got a game. But then... As this game goes on, you start to become that fat kid that wants cake, you know? Because Trevor Williams, to his credit, and I give him a lot of credit, settled in and pitched really well. He makes one mistake to Trey Turner. He gives up a leadoff double in the second inning to Cody Ballinger, fights through it, and ends up giving this team five quality innings. The problem is, outside of the home run by Starling Marte, This game was about missed opportunities against Urias. 2-1, nobody out in the second inning. They do nothing. Escobar strikes out. Guillerme pops up. And then Brandon Nimmo comes up with the bases loaded, flies out to center field. They got another opportunity in the sixth inning. They even get Urias out of the game. I mentioned earlier, Evan Phillips is used. But Dave Roberts pulls him after only getting two outs. Then he goes to Caleb Ferguson. Again, the Mets have another opportunity after poor Brandon Nimmo gets drilled on his wrist. And Starling Marte strikes out. And then the eighth inning. Two to one. This team has done a great job of keeping it close. Adovino pitches well. Nagosic pitches well. And the eighth inning comes. And Francisco Lindor, who again, got to give this guy credit. Guy's had a great year. I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm still skeptical about him. I haven't fully, fully embraced him. But he's had a very, very good season. And he's had these moments. And that leadoff double in the eighth inning is a moment. And here's why. Because with this kind of offense where they have productive outs, where they've been getting sacrifice flies, you get a runner on second, nobody out with this offense, unlike last year or 2020, there's a confidence they're going to get that run across. Which they did. And they did because Pete Alonzo is a beast. Pete Alonzo is the MVP of this team this season. I'm not saying he's the MVP of the league. I'm not going to sit here breaking down numbers and comparing him and Mookie Betts and anyone else. But I could tell you as somebody that has watched every inning of this team this season, the MVP of the New York Mets through 56 games is Pete Alonso, Because he's got 54 RBIs in 56 games. And some of them have been huge, huge hits. Especially that walk-off against the Cardinals a few weeks ago. But first pitch... Brewster Gratterall had no effing idea what was coming. He rips an RBI double. And then, back to something I said earlier, productive outs. Nothing turns me on more than Buck Showalter and productive outs. And J.D. Davis, and this is what I love about this team. J.D. Davis, first pitch, ground ball to second, right? Amazing. Unbelievably productive. Alonzo goes to third, lead run. J.D. Davis is running down the line, Kirk Gibson style, Pumping his fist. Meanwhile, he grounded out to second base. Doesn't help his OPS, but he knows. He gets it. This team gets it. It's like J.D. Davis walked up there and said, look, here's what's going to happen against Bruce Dorgratterall. 
I'm either getting a base hit to right field or I'm going to ground out towards the right side. Whatever I do, if it's a if it's a game-winning hit, fantastic. He'd do that later. <laughs> we didn't know that at the time. He'd do that later. Game-winning hit. But I am finding a way to move Pete Alonzo's beautiful, chunky ass to third base. And he did. And then Marcana falls behind, gets hit by a pitch. And then how about the at-bat by Eduardo Escobar? Eduardo Escobar is not fully out of it yet. You know, he's still slumping. He's still causing you to be frustrated, like in the second inning when he's striking out with two on and nobody out. But in that at-bat, he knew, I gotta, I gotta give us the lead. I gotta find a way to hit the ball to the outfield. And off the bat, I actually thought it was gone. But a 10-pitch at-bat, this is what I'm talking about with this team. Whether it's Brandon Nimmo or Mark Canna, Eduardo Escobar gives you that marathon 10-pitch at-bat, hits the ball to deep right field, sacrifice fly, the Mets took the lead. And if you didn't see my tweet, I've been thinking about this for three weeks. I was waiting for this moment. Because about three weeks ago, I said to myself, boy, you know what's different about this Mets offense? They got a crap load more sacrifice flies than they ever had. So I see where they're at. I'm like, oh, they got 18 sacrifice flies, wherever they were about a week and a half ago. I wonder how many they had last year. I go to baseballreference.com. I almost fell off my chair. The New York Mets were not only dead last in sacrifice flies last year. They had 23 the entire season. 23? What that? 23? And as I looked at this, I knew. The moment they get their 23rd sacrifice fly, I can't wait. I'm going to go on Twitter. I don't care where I am. I don't care how behind in the game I am because I DVR'd it. And I'm going to tweet proudly, the New York Mets have just matched their sacrifice fly total from last year. And little did I know that that moment would be a pretty cool moment. A moment in the eighth inning that gives you the lead against the LA Dodgers in a game that felt that was lost. And here's the underrated thing about this game, a game they end up winning, obviously. If you're listening to this podcast and you don't know the result, I don't know what the hell's wrong with you. You probably saw the name Rico Bronia and thought it was something else. But Tomas Nito. Tomas Nito. I love the way Buck has not made a everyday catcher. Like, keep platooning Mazika and Nito. But James McCann, when he comes back, he better wake up. Because Tomas Nito, despite, you know, a 250 batting average, is money. You almost trust Tomas Nito. Tomas Nito almost maybe in that circle of, hey, in a big spot, I don't mind them coming up. He comes through with a huge RBI single that you knew against this Dodger offense they were going to absolutely need. But let's get to the thing Buck Showalter did that almost made me drop my pants. That may be a little bit too much. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm having fun. I'm on a high. No, no, seriously. I was thinking of dropping my pants. I see Edwin Diaz warming up. I have been, as a fan, screaming about this for many, many years, which is I understand guys having to find roles. But if the best hitters are coming up in an inning that's not the ninth inning, why wouldn't you use your best reliever? Sometimes it's very basic. Like, if I have a lockdown closer, and to Edwin Diaz's credit, He has been very good this year. Yes, there have been moments that have caused us to say, I don't trust him. 
He's the best reliever on the New York Mets. You trust him more than Seth Lugo. You trust him more than Drew Smith. You trust him more than Adam Adovino. I don't think there's any doubt. Edwin Diaz is the best reliever on this team in this moment. But if you're going to face better hitters in the seventh or eighth inning, why not use that better pitcher in that inning? So Buck Showalter, maybe one night he couldn't sleep and he was listening to a replay of my Saturday show. No, I'm just kidding. I have screamed about this forever. And Buck in the eighth inning of a two-run game with Betts, Freeman, and Turner coming up, not even close, the Dodgers' three best hitters. Not even close. Those are the three guys that scare you. All three of them, two of them are certifiable med killers. Trey Turner and Freddie Freeman have destroyed the New York Mets from their times in the NL East, as we all know. And Mookie Betts is just a great player. He's just a great player. And he decides to go to Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning. And I, I love it. I love it. And I made a commitment to myself and to you. Even if Edwin Diaz imploded, even if Seth Lugo imploded, <laughs> we'll get to that, this was still a great move. Sometimes great moves may not work. And sometimes bad moves work. Goes both ways. This is a sound managerial move by Buck Showalter. Never did I think he was asking Edwin for six outs. If they had an off day tomorrow, the Mets have an off day Thursday. They got three games in San Diego. But if they had an off day tomorrow, I could see that being a scenario where you ask him to get six outs for this reason. He hadn't pitched in a few days, plus you have an off day. But because they've got a series that begins in earnest tomorrow night in San Diego, or tonight in San Diego, depending on when you're listening, he was never asking him to get six outs. This was simply a, go get me three outs, and I'll go worry about the ninth inning later. And Edwin Diaz gets those three outs. Bing, bing, bing. One, two, three. Now let's get to Seth Lugo. I mean, look, I shrug my shoulders because Seth Lugo in a lot of ways is so frustrating because there are times you look at Seth and you say, that's a top reliever. You think of the Seth Lugo from a few years ago. Right out of the gate, he gives up the home run to Will Smith. I'm already panicking. Even after he gets the next two outs, there's still like an uneasiness of, yeah, there's two outs and nobody on, but we've seen this before. Go back to the game against the Giants. They had two outs and nobody on after the double, double play, up a run, and they quickly blew it. Eighth inning two, they were up by three with two outs and nobody on. Bing, bing, Jock Peterson, three-run home run. So two outs and nobody on is not a safe place if you're a New York Met fan. And when Chris Taylor hits that foul ball home run, that made my uneasiness through the roof. And I'm in a very tough spot. Personally, I was at my parents' house with my sons and my wife. They live about two hours north of where I live. And my dad is behind on the game. So I can't react to what's going on because my dad's two innings earlier. Because I, it's a long story. He was doing something with the kids, some things with the kids, which is beautiful grandpa stuff. And I'm like, you hang out with the kids. I'm going to watch this Met game right now. No big deal. So he started a little bit late. So as Seth Lugo's giving up a foul home run to Chris Taylor, and I'm having a coronary, and my wife's like, calm down. It's okay. I really can't even show that emotion. But I felt bad after he gave up that foul ball home run, which I don't even know why they reviewed, but whatever. You got to make sure you get it right. Gives up the double to Taylor. Boom, Gavin Lux RBI single. But to Seth Lugo's credit, I always say this, and I really believe this. When you blow a game, don't blow it completely. And what I mean by that is, go get the third out. The game's not over. As much as we think the Mets are going to lose, as much as it's like, oh, God, we know how this is going to end. 
Give yourself a shot. And look, he got lucky because Gavin Lux hit the ball real hard at Starling Marte. But he was able to at least get out of it without a full-fledged implosion. And I even feel more that way because of the extra inning rule. Because right out of the gate, you got to run around second and nobody out. So at least there's that feeling of, wow, I could take a quick lead. And boy, did they ever. J.D. Davis with that line drive that ate up Chris Taylor. But whatever. They scored a run. Great. There's a runner on second and nobody out. They better score a run. Adonis Medina. Adonis Medina. Against Mookie Betts? Adonis Medina against Freddie Freeman? Adonis Medina against, oh, Trey Turner. Oh, wait, no, give him first base. It's catcher's interference. Why would you even argue that if you're Dave Roberts? Trey Turner is my, I don't want to say he's my best hitter. He's one of my best hitters, right? He's clearly better than Will Smith, and he's better than even Justin Turner's hitting 225 this season. Like, if they call catcher's interference, fine, take your base. Turner's obviously an automatic steal of second. Totally get that. Will Smith gets a single. Boom, Dodgers can win the game. But I wouldn't go out of my way to take the bat out of my best hitter's hands. So the challenge of catcher's interference was a little odd. Even though it was, clearly was, at least based on the way I understand catcher's interference, it was. His bat hit the glove. Boom. I wouldn't have been in a rush to do that if I'm Dave Roberts. Because as a Met fan, I'm thinking to myself, you know what? Even though Will Smith can end the game with one hit, I feel better facing Will Smith than I faced facing Trey Turner. And Adonis Medina showed balls. Did he not? This is how you have a special season. When you have guys like Adonis Medina, guys like Nick Plummer, guys like Steven Nagosik, guys like Colin Holderman, guys like Patrick Mazika come up in big spots and big moments and make plays that help you win a baseball game. Adonis Medina helped them win a baseball game. You have a runner on second and nobody out, and you're facing the top of the best offense in Major League Baseball, and you didn't even sweat, and you got through it? And the only base runner you put on was because of a catcher's interference? That was a remarkable effort by Adonis Medina. And that's why this was one of those four-game splits that you look at and say, that's a win. That's not a split. That's not a tie. That's a win. And that's not me bringing up, well, there's no Max Scherzer and there's no Jacob DeGrom, because that's irrelevant. Again, this is not about October. This is not about, let's send the message to the L.A. Dodgers. There's no message to the L.A. Dodgers. When the Mets play the Dodgers, if the Mets play the Dodgers, in the postseason, at some point, whatever round it is, this series in June will mean nothing. I want to make that clear. Whether the Mets got swept, whether the Mets swept the Dodgers, whether it's the split that we just witnessed. Why this matters, why this was important, is because the Atlanta Braves have awoken. Because the Philadelphia Phillies just needed to fire Joe Girardi and play the Anaheim Angels to win a bunch of games. This matters because it's a 10-game road trip against some quality teams, and they started 2-2. Two and two. That's why it matters. It's not because it's the Dodgers. It, re- it really isn't. That stuff is so overrated. Because also, and, and I'm not saying this in any kind of trash-talking way, let's say the Mets get where we want them to go. They win the division. And the Dodgers win their division. And they got the two best records in the National League. The Dodgers could lose in the divisional series. <laughs> now, so can we. 
But my point is, this is not about the future. This is just about winning games, cutting down that magic number, and winning the National League East. Because that's it. That's the goal right now. This has got to be a playoff team. Win the division, get a top two record in the National League, which means you have a first round bye. That's it. That's all that matters. Have I missed anything, Pete? Like, have I, have I touched on everything from these four games or is this stuff that I missed? I, I'm pretty sure you've touched on everything. I mean, my my biggest thing is uh, just going back to game three. Yes. With the whole white flag thing. Question to you is, should there be more of a penalty to Dave Roberts and the Dodgers for trying to attempt that? Like, th- there was no penalty and the, the game got delayed by 15 minutes and it felt like the only people that, you know, could potentially, it, it could go bad for is the Mets. Like, yeah. so what? I don't know. I mean, like, it's not like the NFL or the NBA where when someone uses a challenge they don't have, you can say, all right, you lost a timeout, or there's a 10-yard penalty, or here's a couple of technical free throws. There's really not much you could do because I, I kind of understand what Buck was saying where if the penalty is the pitcher just has to throw eight warm-ups and go, you're actually risking the health of the other team. Because he goes out and drills somebody, we're all freaking out about it. So it's one of those things where you just hope people understand the rules and know the rules and this doesn't happen again. But I'm not sure what a fair penalty would be. Like, what I would mean, you how about penalize the, him with? How about the, the next inning? You get one less out. Come on. Because you're waving the no. white flag, aren't you? Isn't no. that the point? You're I waving can't. the white flag? It's too hokey. I can't do anything like that. I, I get what you're saying. I just, I'm not taking outs away or strikes away or anything like that. It's just... It is what it is. I mean, look, the penalty the Dodgers faced, and I can't draw a direct line to the Mets winning, is that Evan Phillips had to pitch. Because Evan Phillips came in and had a big role in the finale of this series, and Dave Roberts didn't let him start the seventh inning when maybe he would have started the seventh inning. And maybe the use of this bullpen is completely different. Maybe Bruzdar Garaderol faces completely different hitters in this game. So, I, I know that's not a penalty because... Who knew that was going to happen? And Evan Phillips also could have gotten bombed. But it's just, it's the, the real problem I had with the umpires being so confused about it, because if the umpires just simply said immediately, you're not allowed to use this guy, go put someone else in, and didn't have to call New York City to find out, this thing wouldn't have been a delay. It would have been three minutes and that would have been it. Yeah, and then the, then the the bullpen coach coming out arguing with the umpire like, what the hell was going on? It, well, was, get, it was getting a little outrageous after a while. That was smart on his part because he's like, I'm just gonna fight my way into giving my guys more time. Let's just figure it out. By the way, I said this to Pete before we started this. What are the five best wins of the season? And the reason I told him that is because in the moment when games occur. We're going to have this urge to say that was the best win of the year. That was a top five win of the year. That was one of the worst losses of the year. And sometimes we forget how great some of the wins were. And so I wrote down the other day, five best wins of the year, five worst losses of the year. And there really aren't a lot of bad losses. I mean, it's amazing the losses I had to come up with because this hasn't been 2019 where there have been so many kick of the ball losses. There have been so many great wins. So I went back. After they won this game, and I said, okay, does this break the top five? Like, does a win like this beat the win in April against the Cardinals when they're down 2 nothing in the ninth inning with two outs? And it doesn't. The Cardinal win is still better. Does it beat the win against the Phillies when they're down 7-1 in the ninth inning and they score seven runs and Starling Marte hits that game-winning double and they win 8-7? to seven? No, it doesn't pass that one. 
Does it pass the day after Scherzer gets hurt? They blow the lead on the Escobar error, and then Alonzo, it's a walk-off home run. It does not. But it may beat the others. Like, it may go ahead against the Philly win from last week when Adovino gave up the home run to Castellanos, then Nick Plummer hit the game-tying home run, and Escobar won at the 10th. I think I'd put this win over the Dodgers in Game 4 above that. I think I'd put it above... Yeah, I think it makes top five. I think it's the fifth-best win of the season. I would still put it past the two St. Louis wins, and I'd put it behind the Philadelphia win. Uh, the no-hitter is a weird one because it was it was a great moment, but I'm not... You know, what, what was so... I don't want to say what was so special about it. It was a no-hitter, but it wasn't... The game wasn't truly in doubt. So I think this was a top-five victory. Top-five victory of the season was this finale against the Dodgers. You agree? I mean, I would definitely put that... I have that as a number three for me. I do, because I have the, 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 the Philly comeback, which was my number one of the season so far. I have the Pete Alonso walk-off uh, versus St. Louis... I put this win as number three, and then I have the um, the Escobar walk-off as four, and then I have, dude, I don't know. I think Saturday's win was just as big, too. I put that in the top five because, that again, the first two games were so bad. The way they turned off, again, against Walker Bueller, I thought that kind of was showed that the Mets were for real, not to us, but to the national level. Yeah, look, I mean, it felt that way. It felt like they were headed towards a sweep down 4-1 to one in the second inning against Walker Bueller. Fair enough. But it was a great series split against the Dodgers. They got three games against the Padres coming up. It's not going to be easy. I saw Blake Snell, you Darvish coming up in this series against the Padres. Then the three games against the Angels where I hope the Angels win a game by the time the Mets play them. I don't want the Angels with a, you know, a 14-game losing streak or whatever by the time they get to that series. But great win. And so right now, they are still up eight and a half games against the Atlanta Braves. They've opened up a four-game lead on the Brewers because that's the lead over a top-two record in the National League, which is a huge freaking deal. I know this is weird, like we're trying to get used to the new format, but finishing with a top-two record in the league if you win your division is monumental. It means you don't play in this wild-card series. And because the Brewers have been tripped up and they've lost three in a row to where they're leading the Centrals only down to a half game, the Mets have opened up a four-game lead on a top-two record, which is a big deal. So, great series split against the L.A. Dodgers. We'll be back after the series ends against the San Diego Padres. Uh, probably record it right after that game at about 1 o'clock in the morning because Pete and I don't sleep. You know, we have kids, but the kids usually keep us up. So, we'll they give you a, another Rico Bronia edition of this podcast coming up on Wednesday after the game against the San Diego Padres. But great weekend. Let's keep it going, baby. And thank you for listening to Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>